I'm so grateful for the testimonies we just got to see. Testimonies of what God has done and what God is doing in the lives of people right here in our church. Welcome to Sycamore View today. This isn't how we prefer to go about like doing church or doing worship, but so thankful for these avenues. I'm thankful that you have tuned in. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday, where we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, which is something we celebrate every day, but Easter's a big deal. I mean, it's a story that has changed everything. So the end of the four Gospels, if you're not familiar with the, your Bibles, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels. It's the story of the life of Jesus, and all of them end with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But here's the thing. When Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John end, the way their stories end, it's, it's really a story that is ongoing. So they don't really come to an end. I mean, I guess in a way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they do end. There's an ending to them. There's a period. You flip the page. It goes to another book, but it's not an end. It, a better way to think about it is the way Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John end their stories of Jesus is that the ending becomes a launching point. The ending is what calls us into a story to be a certain kind of people. So, so what you are left with is Jesus is alive. And now the story is ongoing. Jesus is alive. And now we get to figure out, okay, how are we going to respond to this? What's this what does this mean for us? How are we going to go about living life in response to what Jesus has accomplished? So over the next few weeks, I'm going to start, a, I'm launching into a, a teaching series that we're calling Paths. Now think about this. The way we, we talk about Jesus and the way we believe in Jesus here at the Sycamore View Church is that there is one path to God. If you want to get to God, you want to enter into a relationship with God, there is one path. It is through Jesus. What Jesus has accomplished through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that is the way. So it's believing in that story, confessing Jesus as the Lord of our lives, repenting of our sins to turn to Jesus, that we're baptized into Jesus, that that is the path. But I want you to think about this. That when we respond to Jesus and how we respond to the resurrection, there's not just one response to it. There's a lot of paths from the resurrection of how we get to live this out all over the world today. So there's one path into God. But as we respond to the resurrection and what Jesus has done for us, there may be a lot of paths of how we live this out in the world. And this is really exciting to me. Now, there are a lot of paths in our lives and we get to make choices about those paths. God has given us the freedom to make choices. So when it comes to paths, there are a lot of paths we get to choose. So I live close to Sam Cooper and Tillman, kind of in the heart of Memphis. And whenever I drive to the Sycamore View facility, the Sycamore View campus, I can get out on Sam Cooper and I can come up where I, I come just outside of the loop. I exit Sycamore View, I take a left and I come to the Sycamore View campus. It's 7.5 miles, takes me about 10 minutes. But sometimes I choose to get on Summer Avenue. In Summer Avenue, there are more red lights. There are more lights, but it'll take me all the way up where I take a left on Sycamore View and I come to this Sycamore View campus. It's about 6.4 miles. takes me about 12 minutes. So there are different paths I can take just to come here. There are different paths we get to take in life. You get to make choices about paths you take. Are you going to finish and graduate high school? Do you want to go to college? What kind of job do you want? What's your vocation? What are the paths you're going to take each day when it comes to what are you going to eat while we're in this shelter in place and safe, safe at home? What are you going to eat? Are you going to order out and go get curbside? Paths of what, what are you going to drink? What kind of coffee do you drink? Are you going to drink it black? Or are you going to drink it with a little cream like the early church would have had their coffee too? So there are a lot of different paths that you get to choose, but here's the thing, sometimes in life, sometimes in life we don't get to choose paths that we're on. It's like paths choose us. 
There are times where we like open our eyes and we're like, man, I, I never dreamed that I would be on this path right here. I don't want to be on this path. I don't like this path. And, and the way I've talked about it before is that sometimes we have been inducted into clubs we never wanted to be a part of. Nobody wants to be on a path where you're a divorcee or you're a widow or you've lost a job or you're struck with cancer. And here's the thing, like last week we celebrated Jesus being alive. And now we're on this path of COVID-19. Nobody entered into 2020 thinking, you know what? I really hope there's a disease that like just takes over the world, a pandemic that just changes everything. But here we are. Jesus is alive. There's this cloud of uncertainty that hovers. And now, okay, how are we going to respond to the power of the resurrection? How are we going to respond to this? So there were first century expectations of what the kingdom of God was going to be. And then I want to talk about the first Easter. First century expectations of the kingdom of God for, for Jews. With an expectation of what the kingdom of God was going to be like, it was about national prominence. It was about military victory. It was about Jerusalem and Israel being the place where God was going to, he was going to redeem it, restore it, and then it would bless the world from that place. But then Jesus came with this upside down kingdom that wasn't about power from the top. It was about like living life on the on ground level. It was this upside down kingdom that would involve all different forms of suffering. But the people who choose to follow Jesus, they're not going to suffer like people in the world suffer. They're going to suffer while clinging to hope and clinging to joy for, for the first 300 years of Christianity. For the first 300 years, you had a church numerically that was growing and growing and growing. People who were taking evangelism, evangelism seriously, people who were coming to Jesus, yet there was great suffering and a lot of persecution. So it wasn't the kind of kingdom people thought, but it was the kind of kingdom Jesus invited people into. It was the path that people entered into the kingdom, and now they got to they gotta live this out. Now, on the first Easter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they tell the story of the first Easter... The first people that go to the tomb, they're, they're the women. The apostles and the disciples, they're like locked up in their houses. I mean, the Bible tells you they're in the house and they locked themselves in because they were fearful of the Jews. So you have the apostles and the, and the disciples, men who are like locked up, this safer at home, shelter in place, they're locked up. It's the women who go out and they go to the tomb. And the women are the first ones who witness the resurrection. They're the first ones who testify to the power of the resurrection. But I want you to catch some of the emotion that these women experience. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 8 it says this, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples, afraid yet filled with great joy. In Luke 24, 4 and 5, it says this, These women, while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Perplexed and terrified. In Mark chapter 16, verse 5, it says this, As they entered the tomb, talking about the women, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. If you were to think about the first Easter with Jesus being alive, the words we would probably think would describe how people felt would be words like joy and celebration and let's throw a party and Jesus won. But the words we get, the great joy, perplexed, terrified, afraid. And then you get this, Mark 16, verse 8. Now here's the thing. If you have your Bibles open right now in Mark chapter 16, 
you have a short ending to Mark to Mark's gospel in Matthew 16, and then there's a long ending. There's a short ending and a long ending. And most people believe that the short ending, that this is how Mark ended his gospel. Most people believe, chapter 16, verse 8, is how Mark ended his gospel. Most people believe this right here. Listen to this. And what do you think, if this, is, if this really is the ending of Mark, what, what do you think about this? Here it is. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's where most scholars believe Mark's gospel ended. That they were terrified and they were silent, even though we know they're going to go tell the disciples. And they were afraid. Period. End of the gospel of Mark. Now this doesn't confuse me and I don't want it to confuse you either. I believe the Spirit of God worked through Mark. And if chapter 16 verse 8 is where it ended, I think the Spirit of God worked through Mark. And every book in the New Testament, all 27 of them, were written to specific people in specific places. Dealing with specific issues. So Mark was writing his gospel to a community, like he probably knew their faces, he knew who he was writing to, and here was his way of telling the story of Jesus. And then hundreds of years later, you know, as decades later and years later, as that gospel, as that letter began going to other places, you had other places who were hearing the gospel, maybe for the first time, so you had the Spirit of God working through people, maybe even saying, hey, we love Mark's gospel, people need to hear this. But it's got to have a better ending than chapter 16, verse 8. So they came up with an ending, not that they made up. It was a true story. The rest of the, the longer ending to Mark is a true story. But, and maybe they thought, okay, the people who are hearing this now, they need to know a little bit more of how the story continues. But for what we're going through right now, for the last two to three weeks of my life, I keep coming back to chapter 16, verse 8. And maybe this is how Mark ends his gospel. Maybe he really does end it with, so they went out and they fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid, period. And that's how it ended. And maybe this is why. Because for Mark, maybe he's writing to people and maybe he's thinking, you know what? I'm not going to give you all the answers of how you're supposed to live this out. Jesus is alive and every generation, every season of your life, every community, is going to have to wrestle with God and wrestle, I mean, right there with God, discerning with God of what it means for us to respond to the power of the re resurrection in whatever season we're living in. So how are we going to respond? What are we going to do with this? So I've, I tell the story a few years ago. I was uh, speaking at at this event down in Florida and I was getting to the airport and uh, the person who dropped me off, we got lost on the way there. So from the curb, the moment I got out of a car, I had 30 minutes to get through security to my gate. So I'm good. I, I, I line up in security and there's a line. I'm like, man, I'm going to miss my flight. And if I do, I'm not going to be able to get home until tomorrow. And so I'm going, I'm in, I'm in this line about to go through security. And I noticed there's a, someone famous who came up behind me because people were pulling out their camera, their phones to take pictures. And, and they're like tapping their friends to turn around. And it's the wrestler Hulk Hogan. But I was in a rush. I didn't have time to like try to talk to Hulk Hogan. So, so I go through security. As I rush through security, I had to use a restroom. I ran into the restroom, ran out. I take off running to my gate because when I saw my gate there's one attendant standing on the outside no one's even in line anymore so I hand her my ticket and I was th so thankful I made the flight and then as I handed her a ticket I walked onto the tarmac and as I did I noticed there was a long line of people so I knew I had made my flight and then out of my peripheral vision I look and behind me is Hulk Hogan 
He's about to get on my flight, and not only that, I'm going to be standing with Hogan for a few minutes. So I just thought to myself, I was, I was staring right in front of me, and I was like, okay, man, just act like you've been here before. Act like you've been here before. If you want to talk to someone who's famous, you got to act like you've been in this position before. So I, so, so I was just, I kept looking in front of me. Even though people in front of me, they're pulling out their phones, and they're like posing with each other, but really they have Hogan like back behind them, and they're taking pictures. And I kind of could see Hogan was just leaned up against the wall, and he has sunglasses on, and he's looking down. And I just leaned back like this, and I said, hey, dude, are these people taking pictures of you or me? And when I did, Hulk Hogan started to laugh. He thought I was funny. So on my tombstone one day, it, it may say, you may not have thought Josh Ross was funny, but Hulk Hogan thought Josh Ross was funny, and that means something to me. And then he struck up a conversation with me. I didn't even have to start with him. He said, well, man, where, where are you from? He said, where are you from? I said, first 27 years of my life, I grew up in Texas. But the, since then, my wife and I, we've, we live in Memphis, Tennessee. He said, man, I bet I was wrestling in Memphis before you were born. I said, oh, man, I was born in 1980. He said, I was wrestling in Memphis in 1978. And then we started talking about Memphis barbecue, Memphis culture, and different restaurants in Memphis. And then, and, and then he looked at me and he said this, almost word for word. He said, man, I've got to ask you a question. Why would somebody who was born and raised in Texas move to a place like Memphis? And he said it like that. I didn't like the way he said it. Casey and I have bought into all things Memphis. We love this city. We love the 901. When people talk bad about Memphis, our, some of our defenses come down. and like We want to cause physical harm on people. Not really, but it, it's just how much protective we are of our city. We don't like anybody talking down on Memphis. So I didn't like the way he said it. So I was going to give Hogan a little grace, and he better be glad I did that day. And he said, why would somebody move from Texas to Memphis? And here was my response, almost word for word. I kind of had to gather my thoughts for a moment, and I just said, man, I... Look, when it comes down to it, my wife and I are followers of Jesus. And there are a lot of people in this country who've written off places like Memphis as places just, that are just lost and corrupt and maybe without hope. And I said, but our faith tells us that may just be a place where God's going to do something. And because of that, we believe Memphis is a city worth fighting for. And he pointed at me. And when he did, I think I flinched. His finger probably could have taken me out. He pointed at me and he said, man, that right there, that's cool. And that was the end of our conversation. Because I got on the plane and went right to go to coach and he went left to go sit in first class. That was the end of our conversation. But then I sat down on that plane and I had to think to myself and even pray to God, God, I just made a confession to this famous guy that I believe Memphis is a city worth fighting for, and that I believe that the power of the resurrection of Jesus has something to say about anything that may be wrong in the, in the city of Memphis. And is this just a confession that rolls off of my lips? Or how are my actions, my daily, how are my daily decisions I'm making, how do they reflect this confession I just made? Because here's the thing, man, Jesus is alive. We celebrated it last week. The tomb is empty, but now we look out and we don't know how long this virus is going to last and we don't know what all in our lives are going to be impacted by it. We don't know. Jesus is alive. So much uncertainty. We're afraid. And what does it mean to respond to the power of the resurrection in the face of it? Because you make a decision one time in your life to enter into a covenant with God. But every single day of our lives, we make decisions on what it means to honor that covenant. And sometimes we may go days, weeks, months, maybe some of you have gone years 
You have not made a daily decision to honor the covenant you've made. The commitment you made to God. You make a commitment once, but we respond to it every day. We do this in marriage. We do this in relationships with other people. We enter into relationships once. A lot of times, but then we daily respond of how are we going to honor that? Jesus is alive. And every day, how are we going to honor it? So here's some of my concerns right now. And some of you may share some of these concerns too. I do have a concern right now for people's health, for their well-being. This is why I try to model with my life and, and try to encourage other people to practice a social distancing, to, to, to listen to what the experts are saying, to, to try to stay away from people right now, to stay in your home if you're able to do these things. But I also have this concern, that a lot of us are going to get through this virus and the virus isn't going to touch us, that our lungs are going to be healthy, but that on the other side, our courage and our boldness and our bravery will be greatly hurt. That it's just going to kind of rot away because it's not a, a muscle that we're currently exercising. Some of my concerns is that we're, I mean, we have to create habits right now to distance ourselves from people. Sometimes when Casey and I are on the sidewalk and they're neighbors and we're, we're talking from 10, 15 feet away and then uh, before we know it, the, the male lady comes by walking down our sidewalk and we're like running out of the way. And, and, and But part of it is we're creating these habits and, and are we going to be able to break some of those habits that we've created now for weeks and months and who knows how long this is going to take. Some of my concerns is that fear and forms of anxiety and even forms of paranoia are going to have their way with us and just slowly like rot our souls. So every day we've got to ask, what kind of gospel person am I choosing to be today? What kind of follower of Jesus am I choosing to be today so that when we get on the other side, we are prepared to be courageous and brave then? Because you're not going to be courageous and brave on the other side if we're not honoring and practicing right now every day what it means to be courageous and brave now. This is why I think we connect so well to these women. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how they responded that Jesus is alive, the stone had been rolled away, the tomb was empty, but they were terrified, and they were, they were, they were filled with great joy, and there was anxiety, and, and there was fear. I mean, we, Jesus is alive, there are reasons to be afraid. How are we going to respond? I've said this uh, multiple times, but here's, I truly believe this, man. The people who encourage and teach me the most in times like these are not those who have given in to fear, and it's not those who deny fear. It is those who acknowledge there is a reason to be afraid, yet they refuse to allow fear to be their master. That the people who encourage and teach me the most in times like these are not those who have given in to fear, and it's not those who deny fear. It's those who acknowledge there is a reason to be afraid, yet they refuse to allow fear to be their master. N.T. Wright, in reflecting on uh, so many stories in the Gospel of Mark where people were afraid, he says this, Moments of fear, moments of fear become opportunities for expressing faith and engaging in action. And I believe this to be true, that the resurrection of Jesus was not the place that launched certainty, but it is the place that launched curiosity and adventure and hope and wonder. As much as we want to be certain about things, there may just be a few things we're certain about. I mean, there's curiosity and there's wonder and adventure. 
So today, God's heart is still beating. The mission is still going. And God is inviting his church. He's inviting his people. He's inviting you to come and be a part of it. So I want to encourage you right now. Like, how are you going to respond? Jesus is alive. There are reasons to be afraid. There's uncertainty that covers us. How are you going to respond to it? And I want to encourage you to do two things this week. Every day, can you find a way you can encourage someone and can you find a way to serve? And you don't even have to leave your house to do either one of those. Encourage and serve. We can encourage through phone calls, letters, emails, FaceTimes, waving to neighbors. And how, how can you serve? Encourage and serve. If, there anything, if there's anything we can help you with, we have a help form. We have a help form that's on our website. You can find it. There are a lot of different ways. You can, there, there are places you can, there are boxes you can check. If you, wanna, if you would like to be on call to help other people, there are boxes you can check. If you're in need of help, there are boxes for prayer requests, spiritual needs. If you're, if you're interested in baptism, you want to give your life to Jesus, check those boxes. We will get back to you. We have a Facebook page. You may be watching on Facebook right now. And if so, we, feel free to leave a prayer request right there in the comment section. Leave a blessing in your life, something you're grateful for. Right now as a church, we're going to transition into a time of communion. Some people around the world call this the Eucharist. Some people call it the Lord's Table. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. This is something at Sycamore View we, we do every Sunday when we're together. It's one of the parts I miss right now. So, so right now I know there's some of you, you're together as a family, and some of you, you're single and you're in a home by yourself. And this is a moment where we feel a connection to each other. And I want to give you just a few moments, maybe 45 seconds or so, 30, 45 seconds, where I'm going to lead a prayer and then just, we're going to leave a time of reflection where maybe you will choose to pray right there where you are. But I want to encourage you to think about this. As we take the bread and we take the cup today, I want you to think about Jesus was fully committed to us, fully committed. He went all the way. And as we take this today, the bread and the cup, what does it mean for us in the time that we are in to be committed to Jesus? He was committed to us. What does it mean for us to live as people who are committed to him? Let's pray together. God, most, most of all today, I'm thankful for what Jesus has accomplished for us, that he has done what we cannot do for ourselves. I pray for people right now, God, whether they're in living rooms, patios, bedrooms, wherever they may be, that the same power that was able to lift Jesus out of the grave will be upon them, and that you will give us courage and wisdom and discernment to know how to respond to this amazing story. I pray, God, if there are any words that came out of my mouth today, that did not honor who you are, that they'll fall to the ground right now, and that they will not be remembered, that you will trample them. But God, if I've spoken words that are true to your character, your nature, your heart, may they dig deep roots inside of us and bear great fruit this week. I pray this in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen.